Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. So I sat down recently with a performance coach to billionaires, professional athletes, and A-list celebrities. I asked him, if there's one question that always works when you're coaching your clients, what is it? He said this one works every time. He simply asks, how's your relationship? Whether you're a celebrity or a nobody, the answer isn't always pretty. Too often, when one person in a relationship decides to eat better, get fit, quit drinking, or any other major life change, the other person might tear them down instead of building them up. And when you transform your body and life, sometimes it does feel like you're going at it alone. Maybe your drinking buddies aren't quite as fun when you're sober, for example. Change is threatening, and as humans, we're wired for negativity. On today's show with my friends Brian and Carrie, you'll learn, among other things, a simple daily practice to transform the way you think. Carrie Campbell is a counselor, personal trainer, and devoted mother of two. Her husband, Brian Grasso, is a performance coach whose clients include pro athletes and Olympic gold medalists. Brian and I have actually shared the stage on a few occasions now over the past few years, and I can say he never disappoints. Before we get to the show, here's a quick little thank you that I wanted to give you guys. To all of you who made it out to the premiere screening of the documentary Supercharged in L.A. this past weekend, I just want to say thank you. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but if you look closely, you can actually see me demonstrate a workout using my 75-pound dog, Bailey, as the weight. We call them puppy squats, actually, but that's the first time I've done it in the documentary. And if you enjoyed watching me star on ABC television dressed in a full-body bacon suit, then you'll definitely want to see this biohacking documentary called Supercharge. After the documentary premiere, we did a little Q&A session with, uh, with myself and the filmmakers and a few other people there, and I mentioned on stage that I was feeling a little bit jacked up from traveling all over the place and I could use a back adjustment from a chiropractor, and lo and behold, there was a chiropractor in the audience who, as soon as I stepped off the stage, Brian gave me a back adjustment, so I just want to say thank you so much for that, Brian, kind of saved my life a little bit, you guys are the best. Allison and I also met quite a few members of the Fat-Burning Tribe uh, while we were in LA, including Will, who came all the way from Africa, and in the past eight months, he said, Will's down 70 pounds by following the wild diet. So congratulations, man. That was amazing. But get this. When he flies back and forth uh, to Africa for work, Will also brings hundreds of pounds of grass-fed pastured meats from our friends over at White Oak Pastures. That's serious dedication. But you all deserve the best quality food you can find and afford. Sometimes you need to get a little bit creative. So if there's any little excuse that you're giving yourself about, oh, I'm just going to eat junk food or eat this diet processed food or whatever because that's all that's around. Uh, know this, you can always do a little bit better. And it might take more creativity and planning, but it's always worth it. So how do you get started living wild? Well, my wife Allison and I created the Fat Burning Tribe to share outrageously tasty wild recipes, fat burning workouts, and done for you meal plans all in one place. Now we have thousands of members from all corners of the globe who are there to help you 24-7. Our new set of seasonal meal plans are ready and they include the highly anticipated wild skillet pizza, smoky oven ribs, carne asada bowl, and even old-fashioned pumpkin bread and pie. My very favorite. Right now you can join us for just $1 for your first month. All you have to do is go to fatburningtribe.com from any device including the one you're listening on right now. Just type in fatburningtribe.com. You go there today and you can get the $1 deal. You don't need the gym to get results. You need a proven plan to help you dial in your nutrition. And when you join our tribe, you'll get everything you need in one place. And if you ever have a question, 
We're here to help. So one last time, come join us at fatburningtribe.com. Our next challenge is starting soon, and I can't wait to tell you what it is. All right, on to the show with Carrie and Brian. You're about to learn how to transform your behavior with one simple 10-minute exercise, how to grow together as a couple, a simple exercise that will counteract the negative bias of your brain, why you might choose candy instead of an apple, and what to do about it, and much more. Let's go hang out with Carrie and Brian. All right, folks, today I'm thrilled to be here with my friends Brian and Carrie Grasso. An 18-year veteran of the sports training industry, Brian is a performance coach and author of Mindset Matters Most. Brian has coached Olympic gold medalists and consulted with pro sports teams in the U.S. and Canada. I've had the distinct honor of jamming and improvising on stage with Brian on a few special occasions. We could talk about that later. And Carrie is a clinical counselor, mindset coach, devoted mother, and performance powerlifter. Thank you so much to you both for coming on the show. This is going to be awesome. I'm here, man. This is going to be great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Ready to ride it. Sweet. So since I just read your book, Brian, we're going to start with you. Uh, and not so long ago, you weighed, as I understand, 280 pounds, living in deep depression, divorced, broke, and temporary, temporarily homeless. And so many of us know what it feels like to hit rock bottom in one way or another. But how do you dig yourself out? You know, that's a great question, and my answer is not going to be as streamlined as perhaps I'd want it to be, but it's actually one of the fall downs, Abel, that we have found in the, in the whole self-help realm uh, that we try to avoid ourselves, meaning there's not a single answer. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a one-size-fits-one. And if folks watching and listening remember anything of anything I have to say, please note that one-size-fits-one. There's not a magic wand, there's not a goal setting map, there's not a tutorial or a template that works across the board. What I had to find was my own solution, something that really jived with who I was as a person, how my mindset was programmed at the time, where yeah. my emotions were. So one size fits one is the, is the key component, but what I will say is that this is generic across the board, Abel, is that the number one way to get out of this hole, the number one way to have success, achieve what you want, no matter how we frame it, is to truly know yourself. That's the missing link. It's, it's the spiritualistic aspect that a lot of um, the more woo-woo spiritual end of, of stuff always talks about, yeah. but no one ever gives a framework of how. How do you find yourself? How do you go inside and find that voice? What's the mechanism to do that? So once we know ourselves, we can start applying tools that work best for us. And when you talk about knowing yourself, you're not just saying know your best self, the sugar-coated, perfect version of yourself in your head. It's, it's talking about the underbelly and all of your kind of negative tendencies, right, that you need to understand are a part of you, but you can kind of channel them in the right direction, right? You know, you're not just a handsome guy. You're very insightful. And I mean that very <laughs> sincerely. Because yes, I would go as far as saying that not just the sugar-coated end is the exact opposite of the spectrum. So I'm positive we'll uncover a lot of this as this goes on today, but we have an unconscious mind. That unconscious mind is an accumulation of stories and perspectives that we have accrued through our lives based on experience and influence. That's the stuff that directs us. Yeah. It directs our perspective, our actions, our behaviors, and our habits. That's the stuff we have to get to know very well. Yeah. What do you think, Carrie? At, over the course of your life, hitting rock bottom, how do you get back up? Yeah, I mean, I, I there's no question about it that everything that Brian just said, I, I stand behind as well. But I, I think for me, the word accountability mm -hmm. always comes to mind. Mm -hmm. 
And I actually just wrote about this the other day, and I was talking about the fact that it doesn't really matter what situation you're in, that if we continue to look outward and blame and project towards our external situations, we're never really going to uncover that true that true self that Brian was talking about and you, you just mentioned. It's, it's the deeper layer. We have to look inward. We have to look inward at what makes us tick in order to change the surroundings around us. So accountability for me is always, like, that's always the one I go to. For like, if I had to give you one answer, it would be accountability. Yeah. So uh, for someone who's listening to this right now, they might be struggling with health. They don't necessarily know why, but they do know that, you know, on any given night, they might wind up with their hand in the proverbial or literal cookie jar, right? There's, there's some element of their behavior that just kind of happens without them even realizing it. But how do you dig a little bit deeper to understand where that might be coming from? Because at some point, it's not really a sugar craving anymore, right? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think that I would say more often than not, it's not a sugar craving at all. I think Mm -hmm. the sugar craving is there because of the habits to begin with in the first place. Uh, You know, for us, it always comes down to looking and understanding the drivers, the drivers behind our behaviors and understanding why we're really reaching our hand into that cookie jar. And more often, I mean, you know, the example that we always use is that 99.9% of adults in North America around the world know that a chocolate bar is not the better option over an apple. And yet we're choosing the, the, the worst option of the two. That's not because of a lack of knowledge. That's not because of a lack of intellectual capacity or a sugar craving even. That's because we, we don't truly understand the drivers behind why we're doing that. And therefore, we, we have to understand the drivers before we can start to change the habit. Right. Otherwise, we're just changing the superficial. Abel, can I add to that as I, you know, assume control of this interview now? Um, let me just. As you I, do. <laughs> <laughs> let's make that practical for a yeah. second, right? So yeah. the drivers, again, uh, the way Carrie and I always teach is the driver matters more than the habit or the behavior. So mm-hmm. there's there's a great body of specialists in the world who are always trying to help people augment, change their behaviors, patterns, habits, etc. But again, you know, echoing what Carrie said, the driver of the behavior matters more. So what is the driver? So if we were to make that practical, the, the first tool we always give is what we call a dictate journal. Okay, now journaling is often uh, gratitude, it's often goal setting, it's often positive affirmations. That's often the way it's presented. So, you know, every morning write your goals, write your positive affirmations. And we we could not dislike that more than we do because it keeps us at the superficial level of the sugar coat, mm-hmm. never allows us to penetrate into the driver of why we behave a certain way. Sure. A dictate journal is so simple, it's so powerful though, right? Three to five minutes every single morning, three to five minutes every single night, that's it. A grand investment of six to 10 minutes a day, okay? Sit in a quiet space, try not to be distracted, and listen, what are you thinking, what do you hear, and what do you feel emotionally? Write it down. Dictate. Don't don't censor it. Don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be afraid of it. And do not try to spin it to a positive. If you feel angry, write down that you feel angry. If you feel frustrated, say that. If the negative words you're hearing or the words you're hearing are very harsh, very uh, scarcity-oriented, write them down. Mm -hmm. Do that twice a day, every day for 10 days, and then review it. What you're going to find are trends. You're going to start to realize human beings have an amazing capacity to walk an entire life without seeing or feeling truly. Right. 
And we can be frustrated and angry and sad and never really experience it because it's on the undercurrent. And our society teaches us to put that away. That's not healthy, so we're going to ignore it. Ignoring it doesn't do anything except elevate it underneath the surface, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start to see the trends of what you really think and how you really feel, that starts to give you a much more clear picture of what your unconscious mind's program is currently set to and therefore what the drivers of your behavior are. It's simple math. Yeah. It's so easy to do. If I can just add, can I add to that real now quick? Now carries Absolutely. a joke. This yeah. is what we end up doing. We should have warned you. You guys are a great team. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. Um, so I just want to add to that, that, um, you know, you mentioned the digging deep and going to the negative, negative side. And, sure. I, and I love that you said that because, you know, we do live in this, this world currently that's all about kind of the positive realm and like manifest the positive. And so we've met sometimes uh, resistance from our clients insofar as learning how to go to the negative and mm -hmm. dictate out the things that don't feel so good. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the negative things. You know, what we always tell people is that the good stuff isn't holding you back. Yeah. The good stuff is not in the way of you getting what you want in life or losing 10 pounds or finding a relationship or making more money. It's the negative stuff, mm -hmm. the negative thoughts that are in your mind that you have absolutely no idea that they're there right. because you're positively affirming over them. Yeah. Yeah. You're putting a mask and a veil around them. So we have to go to the negative level. And and it's okay to to feel the discomfort of that. I would say oh, sometimes it's almost essential. It's essential. It's like mold in your house. Right. You can ignore it, but it's going to become a problem yeah. if you do. Right. But it seems that we're trained to just go after the superficial every single time. So it keeps bubbling up in a different way, perhaps. But I, th when you take a step back and you start to analyze your own behavior, you try to take ego out of it a little bit. You do understand that we're in ape-like bodies and we have ape-like tendencies. We're mammals, right? When you start to compare us to the way that other things act, like I said, without ego without assuming that we're better, then all of a sudden you can start to understand that a lot of times our suffering comes from, or, or our bad behavior comes from a place of suffering where we want a state change. And we'll, we'll try that with the cookies or with the drugs or with some sort of negative vice-like behavior. And that keeps happening until we take a step back and realize, oh, this might be part of my nature. But when you realize what that is, all of a sudden you can channel that into something good. Like myself, I know that I have a tendency to, that sometimes manifests in, in bad behavior, even violence when I was younger in various ways. Uh, and one of the reasons I, I really enjoyed self-defense. But now I'm, I'm looking for that state change and I realize I can do it with a, with a sprint, with a gentle walk outside with my dog in nature, with a great conversation or just, you know, something to get the lymph moving, which enacts a state change in the brain and body. It could be supplements, it could be plants, it could be a great meal with friends and family, laughter, any of those things. It doesn't have to be that thing that you always go to, almost like an addiction in your behavior. So what are some examples of, of something that you may have found that could be positive or negative in your own natures that you've channeled in a good direction? Oh man, there's a thousand. You wanna go first? Yeah. yeah, first of all, kudos, <laughs> because that's a great question, an amazing insight regarding nature. So Karen and I have, decipher that we have these polarizing voices inside of us. We call them free nature and bound nature. Bound nature is very unhealthy ego. It's the cynicism, anger, frustration, sadness, depression, uh, inferiority, and free nature is the exact opposite. It's joy, it's bliss, etc. I love that you brought up violence because for me, 
Anger was a massive part of my life when I was younger. And I want to say this properly, it still is. Yeah. But I've learned to channel well. And you phrased it so perfectly. As a young person who had no understanding of these bound nature versus free nature vices or voices, mm-hmm. I was at the whim of my anger. So I, I was, it, it was in control of me, which meant at any moment rage could happen which could result in anything from self-infliction of pain to punching a hole in the wall to getting into a fight. Mm-hmm. You mentioned self-defense. I've been a fighter for many years. I box, I right. MMA, now I do special forces combat. It was a simple channel shift, but what catalyzed the channel shift was exactly what we're talking about. Bound nature controls us until we recognize it has no control outside of what we give it control of. Mm-hmm. As soon as I shift that perspective, and that involves dictate journaling and not being afraid of the negative and recognizing the negative in and of itself is not good nor bad, it just is until we define it. We're defining it as bad. That's giving power away. Mm-hmm. As soon as we simply listen to how we think and feel, we begin to take control of it. We shift it. We channel it right. to a different outlet. Everything about the power of that changes, right. and that inevitably is the key. It, yeah, yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, beautiful question. I love that question. Now, I just, just to give you a real example from my own life of how, you know, um, a, a nature of who I am can, has been very non-serving and can be very serving. So I'm what I would call a recovering people pleaser. And that comes from, I'm a people pleaser. It comes from the core of me wanting to give and to serve and to make the world a better place. But for a long time in my life, that went a very, very negative direction where I overgave. I found myself in abusive relationships. I found myself resentful and bitter because I was always doing for everybody else, but no one was doing for me. Until I, I came to the realization that that wasn't on the rest of the world because I spent a lot of time blaming those people yeah. and realized that it was really me and embraced the fact that I am a people pleaser. I do love to give and I do want to give and I'll go out of my way to do things for other people, but I don't have to do that at the cost of my own self. Right. So once I came into that awareness and I took accountability for that, what came of it for me was that my ability to serve and to coach and to counsel and to be a wife and a mother elevated tenfold because I was able to give more simply by acknowledging that reality. Yeah. So what, uh, what would be a positive manifestation of that where you're not feeling spent at the end of the day, right? Where you're exhausted giving too much. How, how do you find that balance? Yeah, and that's a great question. I think that the lack of sounding like overly romantic about this, I think that it comes down to planning, to be honest with you. I think that um, in life, I think it's imperative to look at my own intentions and my own goals and have a balance. And everybody uses the word balance in life now. It's like a big thing, find balance. But I mean that in a very like, you know, over philosophical way about my whole life. So my desire to give to others and to coach and, and, and do all of that is built off of a philosophy for myself, body, mind, and soul. So that's an element of the whole pie. And my days are built up of the whole pie, not just the serving aspect. So at the end of the day, I've spent you know, one third of my time serving others and giving to others, but I've also spent the rest of the time taking care of me. So it's not a 
you know, fancy answer, but planning yeah. and, and knowing what I want for my life. Well said, planning. I agree. And so, so often people will fall into that that trap, especially mothers, right, where they give so much that they do feel like they're not getting enough back or they don't have enough time for themselves. How do you make sure you're putting the right things into what you said is, is your one third of the time that that's for you? That's a great answer that I wish I had the one answer to yeah. that the reality is, is that in what Brian said a couple of minutes ago, one size fits one, right? Mm-hmm. That depends on you. And so that is the process of going inward and asking yourself what for you is important. So, you know, we, we, when we're working with people, we divide, you know, the whole thing into health, wealth, and relationships and or body, mind, and soul, whatever resonates with you from a, a concept and making sure that you're developing yourself in each one of those categories. But now what that means to me and what that means to mother A and mother B could be very different things. So sure. for me, I'm a highly competitive athlete and I, I, for me, athletics is, is like top performance. And that for me is, is exactly what I want. But for another person, that might just simply be being more active in a given day. Yeah. So that's where the one size fits one. You have to be able to go and find the answers for what you want. Now, let me ask you guys this, because you show up as a, as a power couple in the real world. You're, the energy that you bring is very positive and powerful in the true sense of the word. But when you go back home, there's a tendency, no matter how positive you are outside of the home, to, that's that's where you really let yourself go, so to speak, right? Where you just show all of your negative things. When you're frustrated, you communicate that. So how do you, as a couple, make sure that you're growing together and not kind of falling apart together, going down the wrong path? <laughs> how long do we have? We have said great <laughs> question 17 times. I'll go briefly, and then maybe you probably can do that. Okay, so this is one of our most important kind of, it's not a secret at all. We talk about it all the time. It's one of our most prized examples of how couples grow together, okay? No particular order, and I'll just use one. I'll say that what we have to understand is twofold. As an individual, my obligation to my wife and my family is to become the greatest version of myself as an endless pursuit. There's no perfection. We always joke that if perfection exists, I don't want to know anything about it because if I ever get there, I'll have nothing left to do. Yeah. So I want to continue growing my entire life in the best version of me and independently as an individual, same for Kevin. Okay, so that's our obligations. Now, as a unit, one of the most striking things that we've taught couples that has been profoundly impactful on them is the concept of relate versus understand. Okay? Terry mm-hmm. is a recovering people pleaser. I am not. I have learned tr- to transition my anger into very positive outlets, whereas I'm not sure Carrie's ever been angry in her entire life. Yeah. So if I try to relate to Carrie as a people pleaser, so she comes to me with a stress, a strain, she's venting about something related in that people pleasing guilty realm, things that I've never experienced before, my reaction matters a great deal to her assistance. Now, what does that mean? Seven years ago, we first got together, Abel, she would come venting towards me with something in the people-pleasing, guilty realm, to which I would say, I don't get it. Why do you even care about that? Who cares about that person? What they think is what they think. It shouldn't affect you. Just say a positive affirmation and blah, blah, blah. Like, right. I would try to solve Carrie's issue from my perspective, but my perspective is not hers. Right. 
That is relating. We don't always relate to each other on the same level, but my obligation to my wife, to my children, is to understand. I am not going to relate to the emotion she feels of guilt, mm -hmm. but I can understand emotion. I can understand in honor of my wife that she feels certain things, and my obligation, my desire as a man is to stand in front of her in support by any means. And that is the fine line that we see couples missing all the time. Mm -hmm. Is that Carrie tries to fix me from her perspective, I try to fix her from my perspective, but the perspectives don't mesh. Yeah. So we're trying to relate where relatability doesn't exist. Just understand each other. Mm -hmm. That has been one of the most defining aspects of our success as a couple. I'm sitting, I'm sitting here enumerating in my head which answers I want to give you because sure. number one you have to understand is the topic of relationships is my favorite topic in the yeah. entire world so because it's all centered around love and I'm kind of a fanatic about love so let me let me say this first I think that as a society we live in the delusion that we fall in love and we have a fairy tale romance and it's a happy ever after sure. and you know Brian and I we do have a fairy tale romance we fell in love it's a beautiful story and about six months into it we realized that there was a lot of work to do mm -hmm. because you're two people coming together into a relationship who have two pasts two experiences that are very different two unconscious programmings and before you know it you know you're essentially bringing together two egos like you mentioned egos before and we use the, the term bound nature I believe that there's a large majority of couples in this world who exist primarily in a bound nature state with one another it's always about who's right who's wrong I don't see it that way I see it this way and that's really and truly what deteriorates relationships more than anything yeah. so if you can step out of that and learn to understand that process like Brian just said you, you change the game. I mean, I say this often and we abide by it. You fall in love, but you create a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so if you enter into a relationship and you think that it's just going to quote unquote happen, you're fooling yourself and it's naive. We always say, do the work to make it work. We, we are in the position that we're in now because five years ago when it got really intense and we did have those moments that you talked about, mm -hmm. we decided we were going to commit to every day getting better as a couple and now we sit in a place where I gotta be honest with you Abel and I'm not trying to say this in a, like a delusional way we don't experience much of what you just described anymore not because we're better than or we're, we're untouchable we do have difficult moments of course. but because we worked so hard to start to decrease the amount of those yeah. and by doing that we got better every day right and so often you're told as advice that you need to fight and it shows that you're passionate and that <laughs> you care about each other. But there is a uh, there's a good way of going about all of that. And I think you guys are definitely onto it. But one thing that constantly seems to happen, especially when people have success with their own body transformation journey or, or getting their health back, oftentimes the interest isn't equally split <laughs> between the two couples, right? Or the two people in the couple. It'll be the woman's really into being healthy or something like that, or or the man is, and maybe the other one feels like they joined a cult or all of a sudden they're really hot and they're not. And it can, you know, these relationships can actually fall apart because one person is having success. When you look at the relationship though, they're both winning. That means that one person's going to live at least 10 or 20 years longer. Maybe they could help the other person grow and learn from what they've learned in terms of how they eat and, and how they, they train. But oftentimes that is such a source and an unexpected one of suffering for relationships. So how do you make sure that, uh, number one, you're not 
you're not directly trying to fix someone else because that doesn't work. We know that. But also make sure that the positive changes that one person makes in their life doesn't come at the detriment of the relationship. Uh, well, let me just start by saying this. I, we've experienced a great deal of that in our own in our own work as well. Mm-hmm. When we're working with couples and watching one of them elevate faster than or well past the other one, uh, I think it is a very common issue. And there was times not you know six years ago when we experienced some sure. of that. I, I think for me, the first thing that I would say to anybody is to understand and and have compassion. Nobody really wants to put up a fight. Nobody really wants to be on the lower level while they're watching their spouse up here. So let's just say I'm the one who's at the bottom of the ladder and Brian's at the top of the ladder. I don't want to be there. And Brian probably doesn't want me there either. But the worst thing to do in that situation is to make that person who's at the bottom of the ladder feel worse. Right. You know, we we don't want a tough love. It's okay to have expectations in your relationship, but the way that we approach it, if if Brian starts to get angry about the fact that I'm not where he's at and brings that to me, all that's going to do is sink me further down. So for us, you know, that's where the harmony of a relationship, I hate to say it because it's so like communication. Mm -hmm. If communication is imperative, so being able to learn how to communicate what you're experiencing and where the expectations lie and how we can ascend together rather than having one person feel like they're in a hole and the other one who's, you know, up on cloud nine. Yeah. You know, my thought, sorry, but my thoughts on that are, you know, we, we've actually danced around this in various things we've said, so I want to center in on it. We've talked about, Carrie mentioned a few minutes ago that a lot of relationships, the people live in this bound nature state without realizing it. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And Abel, you've used the word suffering many, many times, which I think is very apropos. So let me kind of sync those together for a second. You know, so a lot of the work we do is, I would say all the work we do really, has a mindset foundation. The problem with minds is that very few people understand what the word means. Mindset is often connotated as just think positive or be, choose to be happy. Mindset, again, is, is understanding our unconscious, appreciating the stories and perspectives that we you know, have laid in there through our experiences in life, etc. So that's where mindset starts us. Now, that, that bound nature that we, you know, we mentioned before, a lot of couples live in bound nature. What that does is it becomes a trigger. And let me use the word that you use, suffering, okay? If I am in bound nature, what I start to do is I start to forecast. Mm-hmm. Okay, I start to, what if Carrie's at the top of this hill looking all smashing now and I'm still overweight, a little unhealthy, and she finds somebody more attractive than mm-hmm. me? What if I die 20 years earlier than she does? Or carry forecasts. Golly, I could probably do better than this guy now, but only if he'd come up the hill, I'm still so in love with him. Or what if he drops dead at 60 and you know I have another 40 years to live? Mm-hmm. So we start to forecast into the future. That's a bound nature state. And what we do is we take temporary pain and we turn it into suffering. Right. So every time we forecast in the future or we start regretting the past, we, we take these temporary pains that could be worked out through just proper communication and understanding, and we translate them into suffering, and now they become overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And they stew for days and weeks and months or years, and boom, they blow up. It all is just a matter of living out of down nature in good communication in the absence of forecasting forward. 
it really is rather simple, but foreign to so many people. Yeah. Now, what about self-sabotage? Because that's another thing that could happen, right? Where the couple kind of goes apart for a little while, one person's on top of the hill, and maybe they take one for the team, and then they start to self-sabotage. But that can happen to people also when they have great success on their own, outside of any relationship and independent of it. What the heck is going on when someone knows exactly what works, experiences that, and then gives up on it? Why? Because everybody, everybody watching and listening, write this down. You cannot outgoal set an unsuccessful mindset. Okay? You cannot outgoal set an unsuccessful mindset. That's a key consideration. Our entire society is goal set crazy. Mm-hmm. Something like 200 million Americans set New Year's resolutions every single year. 8% achieve them. Yeah. 92% don't. And that's a very reflective statistic of goals in general. It's not because we set goals incorrectly. It's not because we all need a tutorial in grade two for how to set goals. It's none of those things. It's simply this. Our unconscious mindset will forever and always be the thing that pulls us back in line unless or until we shift that story. Hmm. Great psychologist Carl Jung said it best. Unless you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So unless we make all these stories and perspectives that we don't even know are there necessarily, unless we bring them to our conscious thoughts and we understand ourselves with them, those stories will direct everything about our actions and habits. And we can find success for a period of time, but then drop out of that success for what we feel like is no reason whatsoever, which is how we go back to dictate journaling, understanding yourself, knowing your negativities. Gary said it best. The positive things in you are not what's holding you back. It's the negative things. Mm -hmm. We can find temporary success, but those unconscious stories will take hold and drag us back down. Self-sabotage and overthinking might be the two most prevalent negativities that people in our society experience. But that's the answer. That's why you self-sabotage, because it's like we're shining the outside of the coin, but inside... Mm -hmm still murky and dusty and we really haven't changed much about it at all except for the exterior uh, appearance but all being a very brief period of time right i just want to add really quickly i think that it's really important to take note that most people don't know when they're self-sabotaging right. you don't necessarily identify it until after it's done or someone's kind that's of a point. light in their face and, and that's really you know everything that we do functions off of you know what we refer to as the four a's the model of simplicity we have to have acceptance, awareness, accountability, and adaptation. So in the awareness phase, we educate people to understand the process for themselves. So if you don't know yourself sabotaging, how in the world are you going to stop it? So you have to know that you're self-sabotaging to start, number one. Mm-hmm. Then you have to know the behaviors of self-sabotaging, the mechanisms, what's happening in the moment of self-sabotage. So essentially what we're going to do is You know, most people, I would say, are probably aware of it after the fact. What we want to do is we want to start to close the gap because nothing, a car, a human being, none of us go from zero to 100 kilometers an hour like that. There's a process. We don't go from success to self-sabotage in one second flat. If we can learn to peel back the the, the process and start to identify, for example, the language in our mind, the thoughts and the feelings that we're having, as we start the, the beginning stages of self-sabotage, well, then we can disarm. Then we can stop. And that's how we close the gap 
on, on, you know, what we really want and how to get it in life. Can I just add, because it's something we teach so concretely and it, it, it meshes with what Carrie just said. Our society is very interventionist, right? So when we're very overweight, we have to intervene to become more healthy. When we are drug addicted, we have to intervene. When a child does very, very poorly in school, we intervene. We have become so conditioned to intervening when things get really bad that's almost like we walk around waiting for the, the bottom to fall out. Yeah. What Carrie and I love to teach and what she just explained was a, a cycle we call interruption. So don't intervene, just learn to interrupt. Hmm. Patterns start to present themselves along this self-sabotage matrix, like yeah. something you're thinking, something you're feeling. The, the beginning stages of you about to self-sabotage are starting to present themselves. If we can interrupt the pattern at 10 miles an hour, it never gets to 100. Yeah. Self-sabotage doesn't happen, which will then require another intervention. We don't want to intervene in life. We want to interrupt patterns. That's it. I'm sorry, I gotta just add yeah. this, because this is a little bit of a soapbox right now. Uh, <laughs> I just wanna say, that, and, and part of the problem, and when I say the problem, like, I mean it as like a societal influence that we have. Part of the problem is that we're conditioned for immediate gratification. Right. We don't wanna do the work. We don't, we want to lose the weight, be, have the relationship, have the money in our bank account, now, better yet, yesterday. Yeah. So when somebody comes to you and says, it's a journey, you gotta do the work, it, people start to shut down, right? Almost immediately. Right. That's why in what we do, we've bridged what the gap of educating as well as providing the tools and the strategies. Mm -hmm. So you, you get to travel the journey, but then you get sustainability afterwards. That's the reason that when I listed those four A's, adaptation was the last one. And, and that's where we live. We live in an adaptive environment. Mm -hmm. we, we're always doing the diets, doing this, doing that. You know, there's so many adaptive processes out there for us, but we have to do the work before the adaptation. Otherwise, we're just trying to make habit change that brings us back to putting our hand in the cookie jar over and over and over again. We have to know ourselves first. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. This might shift gears just a little bit, but I, I love this part in your book, Brian, where you, you kind of go super meta all of a sudden. You say, at the microscopic level, you are roughly 16 trillion electrons. <laughs> That to me, <laughs> roughly, right, <laughs> give or take, but that to me is beautifully meta because it does show you the power that we have in our own lives and we can exercise that control if we want to. And let me just give a little example of that because we all experience fear no matter where you are in life. It still happens. And you might wake up in the morning and, you know, those negative loops start start coming out and you can notice that happening sometimes but you can do something good with it. It doesn't have to manifest in bad behavior. And so you could tell yourself, you know, that I'm shy, which I always was and I still am, right? And before I do a big performance or before I go out there or whatever, I feel that fear like a lot of pro athletes do, right? They'll, they'll still be barfing in NFL games before the game or NBA or pretty much any sport, any big performance that still happens. That doesn't go away. You have to learn how to deal with it. So what can you do to acknowledge that, you know, you're always going to be somewhat imperfect or, or perfectly human, uh, but then really guide it in the right direction? Because I could tell myself that I'm shy or I could say I'm a performer and both of those are 100% true, except I, I want to be the latter, not the former. Yeah, that's a great point. 
Carrie and I often educate on the on the splice between extra, extrovert and introvert. Mm-hmm. This particular, as an example, um, I'm an introvert, and no one believes me when I say that. Yeah. Because of how outgoing I was, and I am. I love people. I love everything about human contact. Introverts aren't shy necessarily. It's just I have to regain energy in private. Yes. So at the end of the day, I don't want to be out with my friends. I'd like to be home with my family because that's where I recharge. The funny thing about that is that for years and years and years, I got on myself. I, I would call myself antisocial. I would call myself a loser. And everybody can relate to this because uh, we all do it. I would talk to myself in a way that was way more harsh than yeah. I would ever allow anybody else to talk to me. Yeah. But I would heap on these names, loser, antisocial, never have friends. And, and it became my self-fulfilling prophecy, the whole concept of 16 trillion electrons are you are what you define yourself as that's the point right an electron doesn't have a property until it's defined by who's ever observing it that's me Mm -hmm. that's you Abel that's Carrie that's everybody watching and listening so how you chose those words matter you're not shy you're a performer it changes everything about how your 16 trillion electrons respond in that moment Mm -hmm. It's, it's an amazingly powerful release mechanism. When I realized and started referring to myself as introverted, as opposed to antisocial, mm-hmm. my whole, the emotionality of me changed dramatically. Yeah. So for me, it always comes back to self-talk. How we label, define ourselves becomes what we are in the world. Mm-hmm. And if I call myself a loser and antisocial, I become that. Every one of these 16 trillion electrons begin to define themselves in that way. So go they, so go I. So self-talk and, and therefore perspective mm-hmm. is always the critical consideration. Always. Yeah. And that story itself is more malleable than we think, right? This The story, I remember, because this kind of happened in the past few years, I remember growing up, some some bad things happened to me as they do to most people, right? Uh, some more than others, but I felt like, you know, I was tortured as a, as a kid, or, you know, I had a really hard life, and that was one of the things that defined me, and I think we all might share that, and, and probably a lot of people who listen to, but as life went on, especially as I started traveling the world to see what other people were living in, especially the violence and the insecurity and lack of safety, or, or the fact that you could get stabbed or, or killed or murdered for no reason, completely senselessly, uh, at any given moment in a lot of other places in the world, it's like, wow, the more I got got out of my little shell and stop thinking about just me and all the things that happened to me, when you start to open your eyes to the way that the world really is, you you start to see that we're all blessed. We're Whether we know it or not, if, if you're listening to this and you have the technology to listen to this right now or, or the phone or can afford the bills or whatever, you're probably in, in the top 10, 20% of the world. And that's something that is so important to, to recognize. But so many of us don't because we grow up in that place where we think that we've had a, a hard life, which may or may not be true. But it's so malleable, right? How do you so? How do you define the right narrative, or how do you kind of rewrite your own narrative on life? Can I just say one thing really fast about that? Yeah, oh, no, of course. So Karen mentioned our model of simplicity, acceptance, awareness, accountability, adaptation. Let me speak to that mm-hmm. brilliant question as it relates to acceptance. Okay, so. This actually jives very, very well with the 16 trillion. I try not to get too esoteric. 
Mm-hmm. Although I think in esoterics, yeah. <laughs> I try not to put, to put forth messages that are too esoteric, yeah. too spiritualistic, far too universal, because they're not relatable. And, and although people aggrandize and romanticize this idea of 16 trillion electrons, it's hard to grasp practically and do something with. Yeah. So I, I use it as context. I can also use the universe, for example, the most dominant molecules in the universe are hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, which is exactly, I mean, in the same proportions. Sure. We are in the universe, we are of the universe, mm-hmm. so I can use that as well. But the real truth behind it all, okay, and this is where it gets a little sloppy for some people, but it's just, it's the most freeing thing, okay? It's all just a story. I mean, it's all, what's the right narrative? The one you want to tell. Mm-hmm. That's the right narrative. That's the only condition I could possibly ask you to put on it. What do you want your story to be? Yeah. Start saying that. And it's the most amazing thing when we, we simplify it to this dictate journal. What are you saying to yourself every single day that is translating to an emotional response? That's your reality. Mm-hmm. All we need to do is change the story, change the words, change the narrative. In that, what do you want your story to be? That's the right story. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit conceptually large for people because there is a some degree of deniability and resistance. Oh, but Brian, I had a terrible childhood. You don't understand my ex-wife or you don't get it. My kids, they, okay, but that's, we have done all the diligence possible to remove you from those stories. For example, we talked about memory. Memory is the most fallible thing on <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? And we, we memory add, we memory lose, we change perspectives all over time. It really able, all, it's all just a story. That's all it is. So change the narrative intentionally and purposefully. What is the best narrative? The one you want. That's the narrative. Yeah. And then talk about it, become it, write it, speak it often, daily, multiple times. The unconscious mind, for all of its power, is innately stupid. What I mean by that is it doesn't know real from imagined. Hmm. So if I can turn pain into suffering just by imagining what could happen, mm-hmm. there's an example of it. I start to experience emotion and dread and anger and fear by just imagining what could happen yeah. in a worst-case scenario. The unconscious mind does not know real from imagined. The unconscious mind just says, okay, that. So when we dictate journal, we start to hear and feel the stories. Well, now we know why we're a little overweight or have less money than we want or don't have the love we want. But we can change the story to whim. And the unconscious mind with repetition and passion will simply say, okay, then that's what we do. Yeah. And it really is that simple. I mean, that was long, eh? That's what I was going to say. So much passion. Oh my gosh. Every now and then we steal what the other one was going to say because right. we're like not in sync, right? Um, I just want to—I just want to add to that. In case you missed that final point that Brian made, very simply, I want to say this: in order to change the story, you have to know the story you're already telling. Yes. So the dictate journal is essential. Like the understanding of what you're already talking about in your head is essential in order to change the story. Otherwise, we're just trying to positive affirm, positive yep. affirm, positive affirm. So that is absolutely crucial. And then I just want to share a really quick story about the power of memory because this one for me was life-changing 
when, when we started to really truly embrace the realities that we, you know, we have memory add and memory loss, and yeah. that memory is not really a reliable source. And think about it, right? You're, so if you're listening right now, whatever it is that is holding you back in life has been built off of something from your past that is projecting into the future. Yeah. And there's no way that you can actually know that those experiences were factual or 100% accurate. So you're you're essentially gambling your life on the potential of something being inaccurate, which for me is <laughs> like, when you hear that, you're like, what? But I had the most amazing experience with this. I mean, obviously, you know, we know all that because we teach it, but literally just, just a couple weeks ago, we went to my hometown where I haven't been in six years. And it was, I mean, I had a beautiful childhood, so I have no problem saying that. The memories there were beautiful. Mm -hmm. But what was so shocking to me was that the physical memories were completely inaccurate. Like, Abel, my house was three times smaller than my, it was in my memory. Wow. In my elementary school, I remember this front steps to my elementary school being, I can, I have memories of bounding up the flight of stairs. They were like 20 stairs high. There was four stairs. <laughs> and like, I'm not kidding you. Like I sat there and I stared at the stairs in my house and I was like, it wasn't like a small difference. Yeah. It was a monstrosity of a difference. Sure. So it was so profound because I mean, that's a, that's a physical, tangible memory loss or memory add that yeah. I, I can speak of. But like, what if what you're holding on to isn't actually what happened? Right. Like, I know it sounds so simple in terms to speak that way, but it is so powerful to realize that we're holding on to potential inaccuracies. Yeah, I love that. And that was one of the things that really got me excited about uh, studying the brain in, in college. And then a little bit beyond that was focusing on how flawed our memories are, because yeah. we, th we think that we're infallible. But when you look at someone who even there, there have been so many studies where people are watching something that happens and when they retell it even a minute later certainly 10 minutes later 10 days 10 years later it's completely wrong like one person saw two people another saw 16 and there happened to be like a monkey walking through that neither of them saw right <laughs> there are crazy things that happen like that but your point is is very well taken uh and it may be meta but i but i absolutely love it uh and i can't believe it but we're almost out of time we could definitely talk all day um before we go can you can you tell people one more time what they can do, uh, because this is very actionable, uh, to, to put that journal that you mentioned into action today or tomorrow? Yeah. Well, let's finish it by counting wins as well. These are, these are the top two things we would advocate everybody do without us even profiling, which we have a profile. We help people understand themselves. But mm -hmm. the absence of that, it's simply this. Three to five minutes every morning and every night. Simply sit quietly, no distractions, and listen for what you hear in your head and what you feel emotionally and start to dictate them down. Mm -hmm. Do that for seven to 10 days and then start to review. You will see trends in how you talk to yourself. You will see ways that you dread certain aspects of your life. But the biggest mistake we can make is to, to assume then that see there is something wrong. There's nothing wrong. What's mm -hmm. wrong is the way you're talking about it, the yeah. way you're feeling about it. So we can change that. The only thing we'd add, uh, Abel, and this is a very simple thing, and I, I keep forgetting you're like a neuroscience expert, so you know this. <laughs> neuroscience expert. The human brain has evolved to be a very negative apparatus. We yeah. remember, retain, and respond to negativity with much more passion than we do positivity. So because of that, people tend to count their scars 
at the end of every day, not their wins. Oh, you wouldn't believe the day I had, I got caught in traffic, and then the Starbucks line was too long, blah, blah, blah. So not only do we remember, retain, and react to negativity more, we count it, we enumerate it every yep. single night to ingrain it. Mm -hmm. the, the human brain is plastic, it adapts. It, it becomes what we tell it to become. So because of that, a simple exercise, count your wins every single night. After you do the dictate journal, three to five minutes, you're done. Spend another three minutes on a different piece of paper and just enumerate all the positive things that happened that day. Yeah. It's not a positive affirmation. It's not meant to be silly, superficial joy. It's meant to have your brain start adapting to seeing and experiencing the positivity in your day, which most people miss at nauseum for years. Yeah. When you can get your brain adapting, I mean critically adapting, synaptically adapting to retaining and experiencing positivity more, the whole game of life changes. I could definitely vouch for that, Brian, because sometimes, like I said before this interview, I'll record, you know, five or eight interviews in a day. I usually batch them up. And sometimes at the end of that day, I'm, I'm so, you know, done with that day that I feel like I didn't do anything. I feel like I didn't accomplish anything. And it's so silly. And I know it's silly. But one of the things that happens every single time that, that helps uh, when I do it anyway is I feel better by writing down whatever those things that I did that I know I did. <laughs> when I write them down, and sometimes I'll cross them out too. It's like there's, there's something about writing it down that makes it very real for your brain and attaches right. it to an emotion. When you do that, when you go through that wince, only a few minutes is all it takes. And it can absolutely 100% change the way you think about not only the way your day went but who you are and that is that is so powerful so thank you both so much for coming on the show uh, before we go please tell folks who are listening where they can find you and what you're working on next yeah I tell you what our new site uh, www.brianandcarry.live come visit come say hi uh, we love people and what we're working on next, we're always working on stuff. Our next thing, though, is we have a, a retreat, a live retreat, three-day retreat in Barcelona, Spain. Wow. In February. So we're really excited about that. That's, uh, that's, we love live interaction. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a beautiful experience for us as well as anyone who's there. Very cool. Well, Brian and Carrie, thank you so much for coming on this show. It was beautifully meta. You're both wonderful people, and you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, thanks again. <laughs> thanks, man. Take care. Thanks again for listening to Fat Burning Man. Don't forget, before you go, check out fatburningtribe.com. If you have a question for me that you want answered about how to improve your performance, what to eat for dinner, how to drop fat quickly, how to improve your overall health, or anything else, we answer all of your questions there. So quickly, you can get the first month for just $1 for a limited time. Check it out at fatburningtribe.com. All right, I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you. And if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or FatBurningMan. Drop me a line anytime. 
Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a second to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man. Better yet, enter your best email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.